You know, there are times in life, aren't there, where we say things and we don't really even know exactly what it is we're saying, right? Maybe it's just phrases that we've heard and so we repeat the phrase, but we don't really understand the whole phrase. We have these terms that we use and we don't really understand the entire term. Um, for instance, uh, if two friends are hanging out and they're doing something together and then at the exact same time, basically, they say the exact same thing about the exact same circumstance that just took place, one person is liable to say, great minds think alike. What that person might not realize and understand is that's not the end of the saying. Do you know the end of that phrase, the end of that quote? It's great minds think alike, but fools seldom differ. Okay, so the point of the quote is actually, it took a little bit, but now it registered, okay? Uh, there's uh, a, a, a lot of times there's a lot more fools out there than there are Einsteins, okay? So if you're thinking the same thing as everybody else, you better watch out. I mean, that's actually the point of the quote, but we misuse it all the time, right? Another one is literally. You ever get tired of the way people say literally, right? Literally, literally, literally. I mean, I literally laughed my head off, and we all just want to figuratively bang our head against the wall, but, you know... <laughs> That's what happens. We just misuse terms. We misuse phrases. And you know, as Christians, we do that all the time too. As we have our own terminology, our Christianese that we use and we say, but sometimes we don't even really know exactly what it is we're saying. We're going to look at one of those terms uh, over the next couple of weeks, a term that's really important to us, and it's the term disciple. We hear a lot about, hey, let's go make disciples. And as you go, make disciples, the importance of all that. And we emphasize that a lot here. That's uh, heart, the heart of our mission as followers of Jesus. Uh, but one thing I've noticed is if you ask 20 different people about who a disciple is, you'll probably get 20 different answers, right? We have, we have an idea, but it's just a little fuzzy, maybe a little ambiguous. We're not really 100% sure. And so we're going to take just the next few weeks and just clearly define who is a disciple so that we know it and we can just have this real clear aim. Okay, this is what we're aiming towards. This is who we're trying to make a disciple people to become. So in order to do that, this morning we'll land on a definition. And I want to go to where Jesus first called some of his disciples and then, and then fast forward to when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and when he commissions those disciples off so that you see the continuity, what he calls them to, and then what they become. And I think when we see those two put together, we'll have a clear definition of who a disciple is. So let's go ahead and we'll get started. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Matthew writes, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, as Jesus is walking along the seashore, I want you to see where he first calls these guys, okay? Where he's going to look for disciples. He doesn't go to the synagogue he doesn't go to the temple. He's not finding all the religious people. Who's he finding? Just everyday normal guys, just fishermen. And by the way, just to highlight how everyday and normal these guys are, what do fishermen touch all the time? Fish. 
and oftentimes dead fish. And according to Jewish law, if you touch the carcass of a dead animal, what does that make you? Unclean. Okay, these guys are not the most devout. Uh, these guys aren't even believers yet, most likely, right? But he's calling them to make them disciples. See, understand this. When you aim at evangelism, most likely you will not make disciples. If you aim at discipleship, you always get evangelism because evangelism is the first part of discipleship, okay? Jesus is calling these guys before they're following, before they're anybody. He's calling them. He's discipling them. It begins with evangelism, but it continues into discipleship. So we understand that. And as Jesus calls them, he says three things primarily to them that I want to focus in on with you right now. The first is, he says, follow me. Okay? This is going to take some time. There's going to be a relationship here that needs to happen. This is not going to be, okay, let's stand here, have a conversation real quick, and then, you know, I'll, I'll ask you a couple questions and you can go from there. No, no, this is not that. This is a significant investment into the lives of these men. It's an investment for the disciple maker, and it's an investment for those being discipled. Follow me. And Jesus is going to spend roughly three years with these guys. The next thing he says, I will make you. Okay, this implies change. Who you are right now is not going to be who you become. You're going to become someone different. There's going to be some change that takes place in your life. He's going to make you into something. And then he tells them what he's going to make them into. Fishers of men. Okay? Now, Jesus, he's just contextualizing here. He says fishers of men because they're fishermen. If they were plumbers, he'd probably say something like, I'll make you plumbers of the people. Okay? He's just relating. He's relating to who they are. And, and then he gives them this invitation that has the potential of monumental significance because you're going to be impacting the lives of others for eternity. It's incredible the significance of the invitation that he's given to these guys. And then you see their response. It says, immediately they left their nets, they leave their father, their boats, everything, and they follow Jesus. It's not like Andrew looked at Peter and said, you know, you're really rough around the edges. I sure hope you're listening to what he's saying right now because you really need this, you know, and hopefully you, you will follow him. No, it's not that. Andrew recognized, no, I need this. It's not like they huddle together and say, you know, what do you think Jesus meant by follow? You know, what, what, what's he getting at there? No, it's not that. James and John, they don't say, you know, what, what should we do about dad and the family business and everything? Is this, does this seem like a good idea? I mean, what's going to happen? They don't even count the cost. Immediately, they leave everything and they follow Jesus. See, today we live in uh, kind of the vestiges of cultural Christianity. And one of the things that cultural Christianity gave us is that people are robbed of the adventurous life of a disciple And instead, they end up with a predictable, safe life of a religious person. So what they've done is they've exchanged the excitement and the dynamic relationship of Jesus and obedience to him for just a predictable set of rules that can be safe and comfortable. And the result is this, okay? Religious people, religious people go to church. Religious people follow traditions, Religious people hide sin. Religious people read the Bible. 
Religious people listen to Sunday messages. Religious people avoid conflict. Religious people tend to focus on the crowd. Religious people accumulate knowledge. And religious people seek to have their needs met through programs that take place in the church building. Now, disciple makers are incredibly different. Disciples don't go to church. They are the church. Disciples don't follow traditions. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples don't hide sin. They freely confess sin to one another. Disciples don't merely read the Bible. They study it so that they can live it. Disciples don't merely listen to Sunday messages. They engage with them and they seek to implement what they learn. Disciples, they don't focus on the crowd. They focus on the few. Disciples don't avoid conflict. They seek to resolve conflict. Disciples don't seek to have their needs met primarily through programs that take place in a church building. Disciples seek to meet the needs of others wherever it is they live, work, study, and play so that they can make more and more disciple makers themselves. The difference is incredible. And understand, Jesus was ministering in a time when there's a whole lot of religious people out there. And you know who he didn't call? He didn't call the religious people. Because they had their predictable, safe system. And so he's, man, they got all this to unlearn. I got three years to pour into some guys. So he goes to a blank slate and he works with these guys and he shows them, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is what being in relationship with me looks like. This is the change I'm going to bring about. And then you see their lives and their lives of adventure and their lives that are unpredictable and their lives of incredible impact. Jesus called these fishermen to something so far beyond themselves they could hardly fathom it. He does the same thing for you and me. He calls us to be disciples who will make disciples. And that is an unpredictable life of adventure, sometimes danger, uh, uh, but it is incredible. And once these guys taste it, well, they wouldn't do anything else. They never exchanged back. They never said, you know what? Uh, the rules that I had before, they, they were really nice. You know, that was safe there. I'll just go back to that. No, no, no. Once they tasted a dynamic relationship with Jesus, it is incredible. And so you fast forward uh, to, the, to the end of Matthew's gospel, and then you see that because you see as he's commissioning them. And Let's jump ahead and, and see that there, because I think when we couple these two passages together, we'll get a clear and concise definition of who a disciple actually is. So uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Okay, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Matthew writes, and notice the continuity. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, after Jesus had spent several years with these guys, 
after he had served them, after he had ministered to them, after they had watched him communicate with people and dialogue with people and serve people and minister to different people, after Jesus had suffered and died on the cross for the sin of humanity, after he had rose again and shortly before he ascends to heaven, he has this conversation, okay? And it takes place when the 12 meet in Galilee at the mountain where Jesus had told them to meet up. And they meet there. And remember, Matthew 4, Jesus says, follow me. You get here, they see Jesus, and what do they immediately do when Jesus shows up? They worship him. They worship him. You understand? Following Jesus results in worshiping Jesus. Because when you really follow him, and you understand who Jesus is and what he's done, you can't help but worship him. And so a disciple worships Jesus daily. A disciple worships Jesus daily because you see him for who he really is. And so you come to submit to him as the true Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And so when we think of a disciple, we think of a worshiper who submits all of life and sees all of life as worship to, to, to Jesus as Lord, that he would be Lord over every aspect of life. And so Matthew writes that they worshiped him. But I love this. He adds, but some doubted. Okay? It's not, it's not like they've all arrived yet. We got to be careful when we define a disciple, that we define it in such a way that it, it's progressive and not static. Okay? It's got to be dynamic. It can't just be like stationary. Okay? It's static in the sense that, okay, now I've arrived. I've gone through the program. I've checked the boxes. Now I'm a disciple done. No, no. When you see a disciple in Scripture, what do you, see? you see someone who is consistently being changed by Jesus. They're, they're consistently being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's not like you just arrive. No, no, you're continually becoming more and more like Jesus. And so what did, what did uh, Jesus say in Matthew 4? I will make you. This implies change. And when you get to Matthew 28... Well, by this time, you've seen a lot of change in the disciples, okay? They've grown a lot. You've seen their wisdom. You've seen their recognition of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And even after the cross, they're learning more and more. You see this consistent change that's taking place. But have they arrived? And would you look at them and say, oh, now you look just like you? No, no, no. They're still in process. They're still changing. They're consistently being changed. And by the way, he tells them, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has, has been given to me. Uh, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit. Now, your baptism implies change. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the whole idea of baptism, is you're demonstrating outwardly the change that has taken place in your life. Okay, so for instance, before baptism had like a, a Christian uh, term, before it was used like in a, in a Christian sense, it was often used by cloth workers and stuff. Okay, so people, they'd have this cloth, say a white cloth, there'd be like a vat of red dye, and you'd take the white cloth and you'd dip it into the red dye, and then you'd pull it out of the red dye. Now, would you ever call that cloth white again? No. At this point, it's now red. It's a red cloth. And so it's been baptized, been changed. In the same way, we've been changed. And so we're not baptized into our own name, like 
I wasn't baptized into the name of Steve. That would be kind of silly, right? Kind of goofy. I'm already that. No, I'm baptized into the name of Father. What does that mean? Okay, I'm baptized into the name of Father. Like, who is Father? What does it mean to be baptized into that name? Well, you got to think about this, okay? Because to be baptized into the name of the Father means, okay, who is Father? Well, God is Father. How has he demonstrated that he is Father? Well, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to suffer and die in our place and to rise again so that our sin could be fully paid for and so that the righteousness of Christ could be given to us so that God the Father could legally and rightly adopt us into his family. So now, who are we? What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father? It means we're part of the family of God. You're a dearly loved son and daughter of God. So what do you do with that? Okay, so I'm baptized in the name of the Father, and this is now who I am. What do I do with that? Well, now I love God as Father. I realize what he's done, the extravagant lengths he went to so that I could be a part of his family, so that he could call me son, so that I could call him father. So what do I, I live my life as a love expression to him. And I also understand that all of you, your brothers and sisters who have been also adopted into his family. And so now you have all the commands, love one another, and here's how, you, how shall you love each other. And I want to love the family of God well so that my life will not be a contradiction to this healthy, beautiful family that God is creating. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of Father. But you're not only baptized in the name of the Father, right? You're also baptized in the name of the Son. So what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Son? Who is the Son? Well, Jesus Christ is the Son. Well, well, who is he? Well, he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Well, what has he done to prove that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Well, he's not like other kings and other lords. He didn't come to be served and have everyone just meet his needs. No, what did he do? He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so now who are we? We're servants of the one true king. Well, what do we do as servants of the one true king? What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Son? It means now that I, I am a servant of the one true king, and I get to serve others as I have been served. I get to lead others to the true king of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, so that they would know who he is, and they would right, rightly recognize him as well. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of the Son. But you're not only baptized in the name of the Father and the name of the Son. You're also baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Right? You've got to stop and ask these questions. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the one who indwells the lives of his people. He's the one who empowers his people. How have you seen this? Well, you just look what he did through Jesus. Right? He anointed Jesus so that he could face everything that he faced. He empowered Jesus to go and serve others and to preach to the masses. And Jesus said, the same spirit that is in me is now in you. Right? And so who are we? We're the empowered missionaries of God. Right? Jesus said that when you receive the spirit, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say when you receive the spirit, you get to go do evangelism. 
He doesn't say when you receive the Spirit, you get to go do some witnessing stuff. No, no. This is now who you are. It's identity. You are my witnesses. This is who you are. So now what do I do as the empowered missionary of God? Well, I must go and tell other people about the greatness of our God and who it is we serve. You understand in your baptism who you are? Do you get that? Because it is this dramatic change in identity where it's no longer I'm living for self. I am now living for God, the one who is Lord and the one who is king over all. It's this incredible change that takes place. You know, the world, I tell you this all the time, the world loves to tell you who you are and how you should think and what you should do and how you should see things. The world always gets it wrong. The world always lies to you. They always get it wrong. Jesus Christ tells us who we are. How can he tell us who we are? Because he made us. The one who made us defines us. And so we find identity in him. And then that identity, it's from that identity that we then go and do. See, oftentimes in this world, we have it so twisted that we think our doing tells us who we are. It's completely the opposite. Who we are then dictates what we do. You see that in baptism, okay? Because in your baptism, you are baptized in the name of the Father. That means you're adopted in, you're established in to the love of Father into this family. Now, Maybe you don't come from a healthy family or a good family. You've got all these, I got all these new family members. I don't even know. How am I supposed to relate to them? Are you great at it at the beginning? No, because sometimes it feels awkward. Like, man, people call each other brother and sister. That seems kind of strange. I don't really get that. You know, so there's, there's this weirdness to it. But what happens? As you grow in that, you're consistently being formed into the image of Jesus. It becomes more and more natural. You learn to love better. You're baptized into the name of the Son, a servant of the one true King. Are you a great servant right at your baptism? Okay, this is now who you are. No, you grow in, in your skill and your effectiveness and how you serve God and how you serve others. The same thing as an empowered missionary when you're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. You grow and you change. There's this consistent, you're consistently being changed by Jesus. So circling back to the definition of a disciple, a disciple worships Jesus daily and is consistently being formed or changed by Jesus. A disciple worships Jesus daily and is consistently being changed by Jesus. A disciple is not static. A disciple is dynamic. And so when you have the question, how has being in relationship with Jesus, how have you changed over the last year? Understand, a disciple can answer that question no problem because you're in relationship. You know the change that takes place. You know where God's working on you and the rough areas that that you're working out. And you know the areas of your life that you are now increasingly uh, submitting to Jesus more and more. Uh, Religious people, they really struggle with that question. And it it really highlights the difference. Are, Are you a religious person or are you a disciple? One key area to know that is... If, you're, if you've asked the question, how has the relationship with Jesus changed your life? How have you changed in the last year? If you can answer that, disciple. If you can't, probably religious. Okay? When, when you think of a disciple, you think of one 
who is consistently being changed by Jesus because they are being made into the likeness of Jesus. Okay, they have this new identity, they are this new creation, and they are looking more and more like uh, the one God is conforming them into. And Jesus says then that the mission for these people is as they go to make disciples. Okay, you're making disciples. So you're making people who are going to worship Jesus daily, who are going to be changed, uh, consistently changed by Jesus. And you're teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. And then he gives this great encouragement. Hey, I'm going to be with you through the whole thing. I've got you through this whole process. He's calling disciples into his mission. So everything he's telling them to do, they've already seen him do it. He's not asking them to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. And, and he's not asking them to do anything that he hasn't already done to them. Uh, now, he did this intentionally for 12 guys. Okay? 11 of them worked out. All right? One, not so much. Uh, Jesus took roughly three years to do this with 12, with 12 guys. You know, sometimes we think, you know, it's really great, you know, if, at church, if you can just know every person, if you can just know everybody. Listen, religious people like to focus on the crowd. Disciples focus on the few because you realize I can only have real impact in the lives of a few. I can only know uh, just a few people deep enough where I can actually recognize when this area or that area or that area is not under submission of the Lord Jesus Christ and to challenge them to that and to help walk with them on how to do that. And by the way, I'm so thankful for the men in my life who call me to that and who ask questions of me and, and, point, and have pointed out to me, Steve, I think you really need to rethink how you're thinking here. Uh, now, when Jesus called these guys... Um, they changed a lot. He's calling them. He's telling them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now essentially he's, he's saying, okay, go, go fish for men. Go make disciples. And they will. And, and they will be increasingly committed to that mission. In fact, of these 11 guys who are faithful, 10 of the 11 will give their lives. They'll be martyred uh, for, for the sake of Christ. The only one who wasn't, John, well, he was exiled off to an island to be uh, forgotten about and to die in isolation in old age. So it's not like he had it too great either. If Jesus, when he met these guys, if he would have said, hey, here's what I'm calling you to, and this is what it's going to end up. Like, this is where you're going to end up. You think any of them are like raising their hand? Yeah, I'm in for that. No, it would have been too much. It was no, like, I, why would I want to give my life to that? It's too much. But as they're being changed by Jesus, and as they understand the mission that he's calling them to, they're increasingly committed to that mission. And so when the time comes, it's like, why would I do anything else? It's like the only natural thing is to still claim Christ who claimed me. Right? It's the only natural thing. So a disciple, here we get back to the definition. A disciple worships Jesus daily, is consistently being changed by Jesus, and is increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. Because as you begin to taste the mission of Jesus, this disciple-making mission that he has saved you for, that he's equipped you for, that, uh, that he's called you to be, 
you will become increasingly committed to that mission. As you're worshiping him daily, as he's changing you, like this mission begins to define your life. Because you look at life and you say, okay, what really matters? Like at the end of it, what, what really matters? How will I know my life mattered? How will, I, how will I know it meant something? Well, the one who made me defines me. And he says, this is what I've saved you for. So now I'm committed to this. I want to make disciples who they themselves make disciples. And so from looking at Jesus and how he called disciples and then how he basically commissioned them at the end, you get this clear definition, accurate definition, I believe, of who a disciple is. One who worships Jesus daily is consistently being changed by Jesus and is increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, be prepared just to hear that definition a lot going forward, right? Because I, I want this to really be ingrained in us so that we have a clear idea of what it is we're after so we're all on the same page. Just kind of remove the ambiguity so that when we hear the term disciple, we know and we can go to the scripture and we can explain to someone, no, this is why I define disciple this way. I see how Jesus called his disciples. I see how he commissioned his disciples. I know who a disciple is. Now, So that's what I want. But at the same time, understand this. Every part of life gets submitted to Jesus. So every part of life becomes worship to Jesus. Every part of life is continually to be changed and shaped by Jesus. Every part of life Jesus speaks to and how this part of life impacts the mission that he's given us. So I want to take you just through a few examples, just so you can kind of begin to see how this works just in life, okay, with a couple spheres of life. Um, so first off, marriage, okay, if you're married, uh, let's, let's think about that for a minute and just kind of look through this grid. The first question we're asking, okay, how does my marriage reflect worship to Jesus? Well, I got to stop and think, okay, Okay, first off, my marriage is not primarily about me. It's not primarily about Steph. It's God's way to tell the world what he's like and to tell the world the redemptive plan that he has for humanity. And so me, as the husband, I I want to lay my life down for my wife and I want to serve her well, just as Christ laid down his life for the church and served her well. And, And as the wife... I want to submit to my husband so that he can understand the respect that I have for him just as the church submits to the Lord Jesus Christ and demonstrates respect for her. You know, when you get into marriage, you think, well, hey, this is fun, this is exciting, this is, you know, she's going to meet my needs, he's going to meet my needs, whatever the case may be, it's going to be great, and here's what we're going to do. But Jesus, you've changed me. You've changed me to understand that marriage is not primarily about myself. It's not even primarily about Steph. It's you've joined us together to become one so that we might reflect you and tell your redemptive story and how beautiful it is even through our marriage and how we treat one another. And God, so now as I go through the scripture and I see the commands that you give me about how a husband should treat a wife, how a wife should treat a husband, how a marriage should look like, well, I'm increasingly committed to that Because I know in obeying your commands that the mission that you have for me, well, it'll it'll, it'll be better demonstrated because of my faithful obedience to you. 
It's not just marriage. You can go to another one, and you can think about, okay, loving others. Okay, I know the Bible tells us to love others, and, you know, you think, well, I do that pretty well. You know, I feel like I love people and serve people and wash others' feet and stuff. I get that. Okay, I'm washing feet, and that's cool. Do you have someone in your life, though, who can, who can just speak to you and knows you well enough to say, hey, it looks like that you're able to love those who will love you back, like, really well, and you're doing that great. But what about loving those who won't love you back? What about loving those who are really hard and really messy and really dirty and sinful and and the least of these? Will you love those? Because don't you understand that when you were a sinner, when you were an enemy of God, that's when Jesus Christ demonstrated his love to you. And he didn't just wash your feet. He cleansed you with his blood so that you could be adopted into the family of God. And so will you love the least of these? Because Jesus says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So will you love people like that? And then then you're saying, oh God, you've, you've so changed me. You have adopted me. You've made me right with you. And so God, I recognize that when I go out and I see others, I typically want to see people based on how they're going to treat me. Help me to see people the way you see them so that I can serve them the way that you've served me, so that I can love them the way that you've loved me. I'm increasingly committed to that mission. Okay? What about people you're in conflict with? Yeah, you, you know, there's this unresolved tension that you have with someone. And, the, and before the temptation, I just want to avoid it. Yeah, they can do whatever it is they're going to do. I'm just going to move on. Done. Now, now we understand, okay, Jesus suffered and died so that we could be reconciled to him. And so I understand, okay, God, when I was in conflict with you, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for me so that I could be brought back into right relationship with you so that I could be changed by you so I can't help but worship you. And now there's these other people who I'm in conflict with, but I read in Paul, I see that part of my mission is now that I've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So how am I going to go and reconcile with others and also help reconcile others with you so that they too can be in right relationship with you. Think about work, okay? Just go to the job site, and, and when we think of work, okay, I just got to go in, got to do, do my job, and, and, you know, get paid, and, you know, that'll be good. You know, it transforms how we think about work, because h- how is my work going to show worship for Jesus? You just see, that's really hard, because my boss is kind of a jerk, you know? I mean, he's really difficult. I, that's going gonna, gonna to be hard. Well, God, you changed me to understand that I'm not merely working for my boss. You know, I'm working for you. I do all things heartily unto the Lord. And so, God, I'm not merely working for a raise because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've already been paid better than I deserve. And God, I'm not not working for a promotion because you tell me that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. How can I get promoted above that? And God, I'm not working for the accolades of of my boss or others or anything like that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is continually interceding to the Father on my behalf, just whispering to him, man, I love this guy. Like, whose praise do I need after that? No, no, I'm working to do all things excellently 
because ultimately I serve you. It changes everything because you've been changed. And because of that, whoa, I can't help but worship him. I can't help but want to see this aspect of my life changed and brought under submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't help but be increasingly committed to the mission that he has invited me into because I see what he's done for me. You know, discipleship is not just gathering together and doing like some spiritual activities together. Discipleship is being deeply devoted to other people to see the spiritual formation of them just mature so that they would grow up into the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. That's discipleship. We call people to be disciples who worship Jesus daily who are consistently being changed by Jesus and who are increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. Because once you taste that, you won't want anything else. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good and generous to us. God, that when we were sinners, you did send Jesus to die for us. Help us never to take that lightly. Help us never to get over that fact because that fact, it changes who we are. We've now been baptized, those of us who have, into the name of the Father, established in your love, adopted into your family. We've been baptized into the name of the Son, a servant of the one true King, so that we can go and point others to you. God, we've been baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. We're now the empowered missionaries of of you to tell others about you. God, help us to be the disciples who you call us to be. Uh, We need your help with that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.